when I heard the cold opening, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> what did I miss? What did Jose mess up on his introduction here? I think that's hilarious that your wife texted me to tell me that, or your soon-to-be wife texted yes. me to tell me that I had permission to slap you if you mentioned the... The water is wet debate? Water is wet debate, so we'll steer clear of that. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a new podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we talk about all the topics that you were told not to discuss in polite company. My name is Jose. And my name is Jesse. So Jesse is my brother. I am. I am his brother. He um, is a listener of the show, and so this week he decided to join us. Joel is in Hawaii. He is um, with his family, and they're spreading his mother-in-law's ashes, and so he is unable to join us today. But Jesse actually knows Joel. Yeah, Joel was my uh, eighth grade or seventh grade English teacher slash avid teacher. So back in junior high school. Back in junior high school, way back in the day, and now I listen mm-hmm. to him on my drives to work. <laughs> and what's funny is when Joel was your teacher, I was the um, instructional aide or the tutor or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because you weren't officially a teacher yet. Yes, I was still in the early stages of learning, I guess. Learning to teach. Learning to teach. From Joel, the master. Yeah. So that's funny. Well, Jesse, before we start, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. You're 22? I am 22, yes. I turned 23 this year. That's right. I am happily engaged to my beautiful fiance. Uh-huh. We get married in October very soon. Not much about me. I've lived in Santa Maria my whole life. I went to school here, everything. I work at In-N-Out. I am a manager for In-N-Out, actually, where I have been there for almost four and a half years now. That's crazy. Yeah, it is a very long time. Uh, but I love it. Everything about In-N-Out is awesome. Family-owned. There is no way to franchise it. We're only in six states right now. We'll be in seven in 2020 when we expand into Colorado. Great company to work for, like I said. Pays well. GC Associates, great. I have nothing bad to really say about it. It's awesome. That's awesome. So, I don't want to get too into In-N-Out here, but just quickly, um, what are some things that people don't know about In-N-Out in terms of like the menu or oh, what do you guys offer? Everything's pretty simple. A lot of people think it's a secret menu, and we at In-N-Out call it the not-so-secret menu. You can go online to inandout.com, and there's a link, a tab that says not-so-secret menu, and that is all we have. That's funny. I want to say the only thing that isn't on the not-so-secret menu is sliced chilies. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is a popular thing, so they're not very secretive. It's out there. Um, but people love to go online like BuzzFeed. I hate you, BuzzFeed. Does BuzzFeed spill all the BuzzFeed secrets? BuzzFeed does not spill secrets. They spread lies. They have fake news. Okay, they're they, fake news because I just saw something where BuzzFeed said there are tacos. Yeah, they are dead wrong. There's no tacos. No tacos. They, um, they'll say like we have monkey-style burgers. We have certain drinks that are only available at certain times of the year. Mm-hmm. They call these um, our secret drink menu, and it's literally them just taking a water cup and putting lemon with lemonade. Like, that is not a secret. You could do that at McDonald's. I could, yeah, you can do that anywhere you want. <laughs> oh, oh, the company picnic that we have once a year mm-hmm. for uh, different regions. Every state has their own, and because California is so large with In-N-Out, we have two picnics. But that is the only time that I know of where In-N-Out serves hot dogs. Oh, okay. Chili cheese hot dogs, to be exact. So if you ever want to have an In-N-Out chili cheese hot dog, either work for the company Uh or be invited by someone who works for the company. Okay. 
All right, so let's let's um, we always start with an alcoholic beverage. Joel loves lagers. I love lagers too, but Joel is racist against um, IPAs. <laughs> he does not like. He has that. a hatred towards those things. I'll drink anything, so I don't have. I'm not really um, opposed. But Jesse, as we're sitting here with our drinks, we have two different drinks. What are you drinking? Very today? different drinks. I have a Dr Pepper. Uh, as Jose described it, a very cold glass, but a lukewarm Dr. Pepper. I said room temperature. Oh, there you go. There you go. Room temperature. And I am drinking the White Label Duars whiskey, which is really good. But I forgot to... Flip the ice trays. To do the ice trays. So it's it's not even on the rocks. It's just... <laughs> straight up. Straight up. That's how, that's how a man drinks his drinks. That's how a man drinks it. And me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not your stereotypical man. So anyway, um, yeah, two different drinks. Why why aren't you partaking, Jesse? Why why do you have Dr. Pepper? I um, am what they call straight edge. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been straight edge for my whole life. I've never tried anything. I've never drank, injected, smoked, snorted anything in my life, Uh, however you want to take it. I just don't drink. Essentially, pretty much is how I go for it. I have never had an interest in it. I've never really cared for it. Now, for the older listeners, they're like, oh, this kid's straight edge. He goes to bars and kicks people in the nuts for smoking cigarettes and (laughs) sipping on a lager. No. If you are drinking, I'm totally cool with it. It is your decision. My decision is I just want to drink my Dr. Pepper. That's a good decision. I I think our family has instances of alcoholism, so (laughs) it's probably a safe bet. I'm flirting, I guess, on the line there. (laughs) That's what you got to do sometimes. You got to flirt with it. I'm on the. I, I believe in moderation. I don't, you know, but some people make the choice to to not partake at all. Just they don't even want to run the risk. Yeah. So that's very punk rock of you, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Straight edge. <laughs> I drink Dr Pepper, don't you know? It's the original taste that I love so, and the taste is making peppers everywhere I go. There's greeting peppers, eating peppers, choir peppers, shire peppers. And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Jesse and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about or interested in for two minutes. Though I tend to be a bit loquacious, so that isn't a strict time limit. This week, I'm going to discuss the recent decision by the Supreme Court um, to support the plaintiff Mark Janus over ASCME, which stands for the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. So it basically ends the right of unions to collect dues from their members. So the reason why that's problematic is because you end up with what are called free riders, and free riders basically benefit from the contract without actually contributing to the union that fought for that contract. Okay. So, for example, our union just negotiated a 1.5% bonus, and then they also (laughs) negotiated a retro um, health increase. Then for the next two years, we will be getting um, 1.5% salary raise for a total of 4.5%. Plus... Oh, wow. It just keeps coming. Plus health benefits. So we have all these things that are... Did you not have health benefits before? We're paying more and more in health insurance. Yeah. So the district said they would pick up more of the cost. Gotcha. Which basically means I'm going to save $640 a year. Nice. Which is... Very helpful. And if I'm right, you you guys fought very hard for all these things, right? It was a it was a year long negotiations battle. So I, I say that because we did all of this, and we did it because our union 
negotiated collectively against the district. So now imagine a future, which is now the reality, where a teacher, for example, could say, I'm not going to be part of the union anymore. I'm not going to pay any dues. Okay. So they're not contributing in any way yeah. to the union, not participating, mm-hmm. but they get all the benefits. They're going to reap the benefits of something that they did not even contribute to okay. in any way. They're basically free. They're free riders, but they're basically freeloaders. Yeah. In other words. So I'm not going to help you guys in any way, but I'm going to get that bonus. I'm going to get that salary increase. And so the point is these billionaires backed this effort to undo this law that's been in place for 41 years, established by the Supreme Court um, in the Abood decision. They overturned this. So in the hopes that enough people would back out of the union to basically make it neutralized. If enough members back out and don't pay dues, then we can't afford to operate. Yeah. We have no money. You don't have a union. And the union dies. And so these interests don't like unions because unions are the only real force to protect workers. Otherwise, you're totally left at the whim of your employer. Well, if you work for Costco or you work for In-N-Out, they treat their um, workers really well. Yeah. Right. And the thing, too, about like with In and Out, you know, to kind of backtrack a little bit, is everyone has started wiping down tables. That's what we tell people when they come in for their onboarding is, you know, hey, I may be your superior, mm-hmm. but I know exactly what you're going through because I started off in the dining room wiping tables, greeting guests, you know, took orders, I worked fries, I cooked, I worked board, you know, I became an assistant manager, then I became a manager, mm-hmm. you know, so. And I'm sure you can say the same thing at Costco because we have plenty of people in the family that work at Costco and they tell you they all start in the parking lot pushing carts. That's right. You know, and then they work their way inside and end up in the bakery, the pharmacy, you know, the front end, the help desk, whatever it is, which is nice. But then you think about companies like McDonald's, mm-hmm. you know, Carl's Jr., Walmart. Right. You know, we always have the joke that we go to Target and we pay more to go to Target so you don't have to go to Walmart. That's, yeah. That's um, too. And you hear the horrible things that Walmart does to their employees. And I don't know, do they have unions at Walmart? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. There might be some, there might be one somewhere, but for mm-hmm. the most part, no. So I, so because I usually use this time to talk about my faith and my Catholicism, <laughs> I just want to say, you know, the, the Catholic Church has a long history of supporting labor unions, beginning in um, the 1890s, 1891, to be exact. Ah. Rerum Novarum, which was, I believe, was an encyclical released by Pope Leo XIII. And in it, he writes, the most important of all workplace associations and organizations are working men's unions. So in other words, it is part of our human dignity to be able to enter into these associations, and we can't simply just be at left to the whim of markets or mm-hmm. left to the whim of your employer. And Pope Francis has a very powerful quote. He, he, he said, trade unions have been an essential force for social change, about which a semblance of um, a decent and humane society is impossible under capitalism. So the church believes very much in the dignity of individuals, in um, humanity, and it's not enough just to say, well, the market will take care of people, or the employers will take care of people. Well, no, we have a right as human beings to come together and to negotiate and to bargain. Yeah. I think um, the key word there is negotiate. Yeah. You know, it's not like, hey, I want it my way, only my way. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, I get it. You need to run a business. So let's meet somewhere yeah. in the middle here so we can both reap these benefits. And that's what our union has done is we've always been very conscious that we don't want to ask for too much. We want to, we don't want to push the district too much because it's not that they're running a business, but they need to stay solvent. 
Mm-hmm. And it's in our interest that they stay solvent because if they're not, then we get fired. Right? They start laying off teachers. Yeah. So, anyway, unions are awesome. Supreme Court sucks. That decision was awful. And the Catholic Church um, is very much in favor of unions. That's mine. Way longer than two minutes. So, Jesse, <laughs> what are we going to talk about this week? Okay, so on the very opposite spectrum of, I feel like the, of Catholicism is uh, rat beefs. <laughs> All right, we are going to talk about modern-day rap beefs. So my personal favorite artist is Drake. Yep. I think he can do no wrong. He is an awesome guy, even though there is a rumor that he is hiding a child. Last you and I had talked about this was we were at dinner, I want to say, a week ago, two or weeks so. ago, something like that. I think it was two weeks ago because last week I was with family. That's right. We Other families. Yeah. And um, there was just a lot of things going on. And literally the next day, it just exploded in the rap beef. Um, with a lot of different artists. So one, you have Pusha T. Pusha T. Who is on Kanye West's uh, record label, Good Music, G-O-O-D. Mm-hmm. And then you have Drake, who is a part of the OVO camp, October's Very Young. I say camp because there's a joke that uh, Drake has a camp full of ghostwriters and oh, people that produce his own music. I think um, like children out of wedlock. That too, maybe. <laughs> Who write all his music. They got into a little bit of a beef there, and it was pretty awesome. Because I want to say two years ago or something like that, Drake was in a beef with the rapper Meek Mill from Philadelphia, and he absolutely murdered Meek Mill. Not in a real sense. Not in a just, literal sense. Yes. Uh, I mean, it was so bad. Meek Mill pretty much fell off the face of everything because he became a joke. There's a line in one of Drake's songs where he says... Uh, Shouts out to all my uh, boss wifeing N-words. And that was in reference to Nicki Minaj, who was at the time dating Meek Mill, who was making a lot more than Meek Mill, who Mm. was supporting Meek Mill, essentially. Right. Yeah, absolutely killed him. And everyone's like, wow, Jake can do no wrong. He cannot be beat in a rap beef. And here comes Pusha T, Mm -hmm. who drops an album. I think it's called like Daytona or something like that. I'm not a big fan of his. Uh, Not that I hate him. It's just I don't listen to him. Right. And he came out, I think he said something about Drake, and so Drake made this freestyle song, and he just absolutely killed it. And everyone's like, That's oh my funny. god, he just did it again. He had to go ruin Pusha T. And then Pusha T goes, hold on, sir. And he comes out and releases his song, and in there accuses Drake of, because the running joke is that Drake has ghostwriters and doesn't make his own song because he lives in Toronto. Oh, he's Canadian. And he, he's Canadian, and he lives in the very good part of Toronto, and has always lived in the good part of Toronto, mm. that he is not this killer that he makes himself out to be, that he has these goons that ride for him. Probably not. His real name is Aubrey Graham. That's a beautiful name. Yeah, Aubrey. <laughs> and so people, that's usually what they call him out for, mm. you know? And in... Aubrey with your free Canadian health insurance? Yeah, you <laughs> and Pusha T came out and said, hey, you have a son that you've been hiding. Oh, Everyone goes, holy shit, Drake, you have a son? And so here goes the internet, and they keyboard warriors, they type away, mm-hmm. and here they find a porn star that Drake has been with who has a child who no one knows who the father is. Was it Stormy Daniels? No, it was not Stormy Daniels. How <laughs> awesome would that have been? That, then we could have like a celebrity boxing match with Drake and Trump. I know, that would right? be epic. <laughs> And uh, Canada versus America. There you go. That's right. And Drake comes out with an album yesterday Mm -hmm. called Scorpion. Oh, yesterday. Yesterday. Very yesterday. And he never responded back to that from um, Pusha T. Oh, and might I add on that same song that Pusha T made about Drake calling out for his son, he made the album cover of it Mm -hmm. a picture of Drake 
in blackface. And it's called, like, the story of Adion. Uh-huh. And Adion was allegedly the shoe label, mm-hmm. or I'm not shoe, shoe line that Drake was coming out with with Adidas. So pretty much when people would go on the internet and type in Adion Drake, instead of getting the shoe line, mm-hmm. they would instead get this Pusha T, wow. you know, CD cover that says this, you know, with Wait, Drake. so what? It was Drake in blackface? In blackface, who was already African-American. But now he has painted his face even darker. So it wasn't Photoshop. Not Photoshop. He did it. He did it. Yes. And Drake came out and said, hey, what this was, was this was, I think he said it was back in high school or back in college, something like that, that he and a friend were trying to make some point and how they're represented, blah, 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 blah. No one bought it. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Drake comes out with this album yesterday. And in the description of this album, I can pull it up super quickly right now. It says, in all caps, I might add. I hate when Drake raps. Drake sings too, Drake sings too much. Drake is a pop artist. Doesn't even write his own music. Took an L. Didn't start from the bottom. Is finished. I like Drake's older stuff. Drake makes music for girls. Drake thinks he's Jamaican. Drake is an actor. Drake changed. Anybody else over Drake. And then at the bottom it says, yeah, yeah, we know. And I feel like Drake pulled an Eminem in this sense. What do you mean? An Eminem because in the movie 8 Mile. Uh-huh. There's the end rap battle where he goes on stage where he is notoriously choked multiple times. Right. And in there he says like, yeah, I live in the RV with my mom. Yeah, I'm white. Yeah, you my girlfriend and all this stuff. Right. And then when he hands the mic to the guy that he's rapping, who plays, um, is it Falcon? Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie. There you go. That is the rival rapper in 8 Mile. His name is what? It's Clarence. Clarence. So he hands the mic to Clarence, telling Clarence, like, hey, I have dissed myself on everything. What are you going to tell the people now? And he chokes up and doesn't say anything. So I feel like Drake is trying to say, hey, here's everything that you think you can talk about. I already know. I'm self-aware. Try it now. You know? And you have to think about it. This Pusha T just came out two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And in this album, Drake admits to having a son. He has a line in there where he says, I wasn't hiding my son from the world. I was hiding the world from my son. Oh, shoot. And everyone's like, ooh, dude, he admitted it. That's that's wild. He did it. We'll see where it goes from here. You know, see how Drake feels. But I just love rap beefs. Look at the way we live. I wasn't hiding my kid from the world. I was hiding the world from my kid. From empty souls who just wake up and look to debate. Until you staring at your seed, you can never relate. Breaking news in my life, I don't run to the blogs. The only ones I want to tell are the ones I can call. All right, so for the main topic today, Jesse and I, my brother Jesse, my little brother who is taller than I am, um, we are going to discuss the horror film genre. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, I, I feel like you and I both were raised by, well, maybe raised isn't the right word, but in a family, like our mother just loves horror films. Yes. And so I remember, I, I was a little boy watching movies like Hellraiser. Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. Our mom would watch these movies with us. Mm-hmm. And um, this I, is true. <laughs> I remember one year um, I went over to mom's house, mm-hmm. um, Mother's Day, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, mom. You know, our mom's deaf. Oh, I know where this is going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> our, our mother's deaf, so of course, this is all in sign language. But, yeah. Um, I was like, hey, mom, happy Mother's Day. Let's do whatever you want to do. And she's like, oh, I want to watch a movie. I'm like, okay, let's watch a movie. We sit down. She puts the DVD in. And I'm like, what the f***? 
she put on Human Centipede. Yes. So for Mother's Day, we watched The Human Centipede. Human Centipede, I think, is uh, one of her favorite series. That and the Saw series. Mom loves those movies for some reason. It's disgusting. Yeah. So I, I hate Human Centipede. So it was horrible. Like, this is disgusting. But anyway... I remember being younger, and this is when we lived, like, right behind that 7-Eleven. Do you remember that? Uh, Those, like, blue apartments or whatever they were? Yeah. Off of, uh, Blosser? Yeah. And I remember, like, opening my bedroom door one time, because I had waken up in the night, and my mom and all her friends were watching a movie, uh-huh. and they had left the sound on. Deaf people do this quite often. You'd be surprised. I open the door, and the first thing I see mm-hmm. is a person in the middle of the road splattered by a semi-truck. Literally, the second I open the door, they are hit by this semi-truck, Blech. obliterated, body everywhere. And I was like, oh my god. What? Was it like Final Destination? Or no, it was um, Child's Play. Oh, okay. It was one of the those Child's Play movies. I remember being just absolutely petrified. I shut the door instantly, and cry probably see i grew up watching that movie and um with mom and my dad um jesse and i have different dads and we grew up in different you know i'm 12 years older than jesse so we grew up in different times even but Mm -hmm. yeah and i remember one time i went down to stay the night at one of my buddy's houses houses at my buddy's house and your friend was rich he had multiple houses i know like john mccain (laughs) Um, but no, he also had parents who didn't really care what he watched. Mind you, we were like seven or eight years old. <laughs> and we watched Nightmare on Elm Street. A classic. A classic, but we're seven or eight years old on our own. And the That's older brother started making noises and saying these scary things and freaking us. I ended up walking home in the middle of the night. It had to be like midnight. It was pitch black out. And this was in like Sacramento, wasn't it? This is in Sacramento. Yeah, so this is a big city. And I'm wearing Superman pajamas with like the Velcroed on cape. (laughs) Walking down the street, going home. No, was this a far trick? This is just down the street. Okay. Like a block, you know. I think this would have been way more epic if you were like cross town. No, this is just like a block away. But still, for a little kid to be walking out at midnight, I had to be, I was that scared. To want to go home. To want to go home, right? But it's a mental game. It is. So, so when we talk about the horror genre, like what, what do we what do we mean by the horror? What do we mean by horror films? What is that? I like to define terms. So, what do we mean by that? You know, I personally think it's kind of hard. That's what she said. <laughs> kind of difficult i should say to define horror because to some people it is just a gore fest it is something to get you off if you want to get scared really quickly mm-hmm. um something people like to say it hates on women because women are killed a lot they're killed gruesomely right um they're always naked in horror movies right you know, but to me, I like to think of the horror movies as exact opposites, although sometimes the scariest movies are the ones that don't even have violent kills or have kills at all. Mm-hmm. It's the unseen. It's the unseen, yeah. The thought of what can happen, you know. Because yeah. your imagination sometimes is worse than definitely what you see. Definitely, because, you know, you can watch a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and, it, oh, in Nightmare on Elm Street, in the very first one, mm-hmm. the, I forget what her name is in the very, I think it's Amanda or something, but she is the blonde-haired, blue-eyed and everyone thinks she's going to be the protagonist. And then she floats up in the air and she starts getting murdered by Freddy. Yeah. And we see it happening. 
And then we get the perspective of the boyfriend who just sees her floating around. So imagine yeah. his mental after mm-hmm. that. He has to be just Jesus. Yeah. Like, that is horrible. And by the way, I should mention, I believe the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie is... Johnny Depp's premiere film. Yeah. And Johnny Depp gets swallowed up by his bed. By a bed, yeah. And he gets this huge, giant stream of blood flows mm-hmm. out of the bed into the ceiling. Is he on a waterbed or something? Um, What I think that scene was done was it's in a rotating room. Yeah. So pretty much like it's all set up normally, but the bed is then rotated up on this giant machine thing, Mm -hmm. and then they just pour blood. This is gallons and gallons. Gallons and gallons and gallons of blood. It's Johnny Depp's beginning. Should have been his end. (laughs) I like Johnny Depp movies. Movies, yes. Maybe not so much how he treats his uh, wife or whatever, but... So horror films may be hard to define, scary, thrilling, maybe a little much into the gore, but why yeah. don't people, like, cause I, when I talk about horror films, a lot of times people recoil in horror, my wife doesn't like horror films, she doesn't understand why I'm, I like them. Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of people have this negative thought of it because, like I said, the anti-women, mm-hmm. the violent kills, over-the-top kills, you Sometimes, know, yeah. you think in the, like, Saw series, where these people are put in hand traps and they are told to fight for their lives pretty much yeah and most of the time in salt if you lose a limb you're probably going to keep your life but think about quality of life after being put through that trap uh-huh. hello amanda you don't know me but i know you i want to play a game a lot of people don't like the possession stuff the demon stuff that's going on right now, haunted house kind of thing. We used to have um, someone in the family who hated it because they had kids now. Oh, you know, yeah, so like yeah. in movies like Poltergeist and Paranormal Activity, where they're very, you know, these kids are in the front of this possession and this haunting. They're like, I cannot imagine my kid. Like when you become a parent, I guess this look onto life onto these movies is that could be my kid, and that's what turns people off instantly from horror movies. Right. And so if you cannot, I guess, separate it too well, then I guess you cannot like it. Well, I think um, some people think like, oh, like you're you're inviting some kind of evil into your yeah, life. Yeah. Maybe if you're mentally unstable, you'll be inspired. Mm-hmm. But That's not an argument for everything, though. True. And I look at it like this. Horror films, in a way... I'll say this, are a form of inoculation. Go into that, please. Do you know what I mean by that? No. So, it's like a vaccine. Okay. By that I mean, you will encounter horrible things in this world, mm-hmm. right? And it's the same argument I make with Halloween, because there are Christians out there who are like, oh no, Halloween, you shouldn't celebrate Halloween, mm-hmm. Ugh, evil. Give up beats. <laughs> or don't even participate at all, Yeah. right? But the world is full of evil shit. There's a lot of things in this world that are horrible. Mm-hmm. And so Halloween or, like, horror films have the effect, I think, of inoculating us against things in the world that are violent and dangerous, Mm -hmm. right? So if you see it in a visual or or, um, in a performance, you kind of steal yourself when you could potentially come across it in real life. Mm-hmm. It's it's like you're detaching yourself. Desensitized. You're desensitizing. And some people are like, well, it's not right to be desensitized. But it's also not right to be afraid of these things. Mm-hmm. Especially, in, and I don't want to turn this into a Christian thing, but there are Christians out there who don't like these things. We talk about, you know, Christians and Catholics. Think about grandma. You know, mm-hmm. she is one of the biggest Catholics I know. Mm-hmm. And 
I remember one of the very first times I ever watched The Exorcist was with Grandma. Yeah. She loves that movie. Yeah. Or at least you still don't know how she, no, she still it now. loves it. Yeah. And I just remember being like, wow, this is crazy. She's the one that taught me yeah. about Ouija boards. Not to use them. She just Not told me what them. they were. Right, right. But... Yeah, thanks to Grandma, I know what Ouija boards and the exorcism was. And it's because these things teach you about evil that exists in the world, but I think also that there is such a thing, like the exorcist, for example, as this battle between good and evil mm-hmm. that exists in the world. And so I think in horror films, I think the really good ones, you see good prevailing over evil. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily always. But I, I will say this to people who are maybe... Um, Hesitant to watch horror films because, you know, it's evil or it's bad or whatever. Read the Bible. The Bible is full of incest. It's full of, like, <laughs> violence, slaughtering people, mm-hmm. genocide. It's super violent. Why? Because the Jewish people and the early Christians were very much aware of, the of world violence around them. Yeah. in the world around them. And they didn't protect themselves from the world by hiding or by not looking at it. Mm-hmm. No, they engaged and said this is a reality. And so that's why you see like in some of these early churches, these early Christian churches, skeletons and skulls. Yeah. All, it's it's <clears throat> to look death and violence face to face and saying, F- you, right? Yes. But anyway, I don't, I don't want to go down this tangent too much, but let's move into um, some horror films that are groundbreaking. So what are some films, some horror films that you think were groundbreaking? Blair Witch Project, just because of the way that it really started the found footage genre. You know, after Blair Witch, I don't think there was too many movies that came out that were very similar, Mm -hmm. Uh, but then Paranormal Activity took off. Oh, yeah. And it can really thank the Blair Witch Project for, I guess, that idea. Because it's not an original idea anymore. It's Blair Witch Project. And someone probably did before that, and I don't even know. You know what's funny is um, that found footage trend you know, really took off. But George A. Romero, who did Night of the Living Dead, which is a groundbreaking film mm-hmm. because that yeah. introduced all this zombie mania. But he jumped on that trend a number of years ago. He did a film called The Diary of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And it was about these young teenagers, or I forget, or film students who, um, with a camera, were going out and they were going to film their own horror film. Well, they end up documenting the zombie apocalypse. It's a terrible movie. It's very, it's a handheld <laughs> movie, found footage, and it, it's sickening when you watch it. Not because it's bad, it is bad, but because it's just so shaky and moves around a lot. Mm, the shaky cam footage. Mm-hmm. It's like an episode of Cops. Exactly. <laughs> Only the cameraman doesn't get shot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ooh, too soon. I'll edit that out. That's terrible. So yeah, Blair Witch, found footage. But I think another groundbreaking film, and I'll let, I'll let you talk about this, was Halloween. Yes, Halloween was amazing because I feel like Michael Myers is the first titan of terror. He's the one that started it all. You don't have Ghostface, Jason, Chucky, Freddy without this iconic shape that is Michael Myers. And the face of William Shatner. (laughs) Yes, the horrible, horrible face of William Shatner with his teased hair. Yeah, if you didn't know that... uh... The, the Michael Myers Halloween mask is actually a mold, made from a mold of William Shatner's. Yes, yes. Beautiful. With the eyes whitened. Yeah. And then it, I think it's whale white paint. Oh, whale white. Yeah. Oh, ivory. Ivory white. But no, so Halloween, groundbreaking. I like that it added an element of realism, though. So you have this slasher film, right? Mm-hmm. This crazy person in a mask. But there's the aspect of, well, he's crazy. He has some kind of mental illness. Something happened where he lost it. Lost it. He went from being a normal kid to a clown mask wearing murderer, right? 
Did you just call William Shatner a clown? <laughs> Doesn't he wear a clown mask at the beginning of Halloween? He does, yeah. He okay. wears a clown mask. He, yeah. <laughs> William Shatner is my hero. And a clown. Um, clowns are scary. <laughs> but um, that was also, that movie also like started the trend of Scream Queens. Yes, yes. Jamie Lee Curtis, the original Scream, scream Queen. Yeah. She is awesome. I love her. Um, I'm super excited that she's back for the 2018 remake, mm-hmm. which is everyone has to go see. If you don't see it, you're a horrible person. Pretty much. I mean, I kind of want to talk about we're, we're, this is a tangent, I'm sorry, but I want to talk also about remakes. And this is perfect. So the Halloween movie, which I think is going to be produced or directed by John Carpenter? Yes. I th- he has a hand in it. He has a hand in it. It's a remake done by a comedian. What's his name? He does Danny McBride. Danny McBride. He does Down and Out and South. South Down and Down or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's a really funny show, regardless of the fact I forgot the name. He was in a This is the End. Yes. With all another, those other comedians. That's a classic horror film, too, actually. That whole <laughs> scene at the beginning when the end of the world starts. Yes. And they kill Michael Sarah, who's a terrible human being in that movie. That could be him. That could have been a real self-betrayal. I think that was a self-betrayal. Okay, so why... Okay, so first of all, are remakes good? Some are good. Absolutely. But So if we look at Halloween, I think the Rob Zombie movies were terrible. That was a terrible remake. What do you think? I think they're okay. They're okay. I don't think they deserve as much flack as they get, but I don't think they are Oscar-winning, Emmy-worthy, anything like that. Grammy award-winning. They don't deserve any awards except a Razzie, maybe. Okay, so Uh, is that an endorsement of a film? It's okay. (laughs) That's kind of like solo. That should be on the front of like the Blu-ray disc. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Jesse said it's okay. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's all right. I think Rob Zombie just has his way that he directs, like, Quentin Tarantino has the way that he does things, Martin Scorsese does the way he does things. Right. Rob Zombie's thing is, my wife's an actress, and she's going to play the lead role. So, the other thing about that, though, too, and we, we can touch on this bit, is the fact that comedians are making horror films. What, what is that all about? So, like, Dan McBride, funny dude. Why is he making a horror film? Why? I have no idea. But, but it's what, great. Is it, what is it about comedians? I think they have a dark side to them. Comedians, without a doubt, have a very dark side that people don't see very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it comes out in their stand-up a bit, but it's there. You know, you think yeah. about uh, Robin Williams, mm-hmm. rest in peace. You know, he was one of the funniest guys in the world mm-hmm. who tragically took his own life. Right. And that was a dark side. You know, and you think about some comedians, Pan Oswald always comes to my mind. If that guy right. kills himself, I am not surprised one day. Because oh. he has been through some yeah, but he's happily married now, and he has a daughter. Yes, yes. But no, I mean, there is a dark side to comedians. Like, there's something about them to where they see another side to the world, right? They look at things differently. Sometimes it's a funny way, mm-hmm. quirky way, and, and a lot of times it's a dark way that they turn into something humorous. Yes. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld has talked about that on his show, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. It's just something dark, like Louis C.K., Right? R.I.P. to his career. But he's got a dark side to him. I mean, obviously, look at his career just, you know, crashed mm-hmm. and burned because of that dark side. Right? But there's just something about them. I don't know. That I can, so I totally believe that a comedian could make a horror film and it would be amazing. Yeah. Because, I mean, Jordan Peele did get out. Mm-hmm. Comedian. And then John Krasinski, uh, Jim Halpert from The Office, he um, did A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. Awesome movie. And now we have Danny McBride doing this Halloween remake. Is Hollywood going to go three for three with comedians right now? Yeah. It's, 
That's a fair question. Let's table that from for now. Let's continue with groundbreaking films. I think another groundbreaking film is Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock, right? Not mm-hmm. American Psycho. Not American yeah. Psycho. That is, that is a good movie, but not that one. Psycho in 1960, it kind of took the horror film genre and, and defied expectations for what horror films should be. Right, it's one of those movies where you never, you never quite know what to expect, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's one of those meta movies almost, where it's like it, it's self-aware that it's a horror film, mm-hmm. and so if you look forward, movies like Scream, right? Mm-hmm. Scream is very self-aware that it's a horror film, super meta, super meta. But the most meta, I think, of all, one of my favorites. Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. That movie, when it starts, it knows that it's a horror film. And it, and it all plays the, off all these tropes. Definitely. All the archetypal characters, all the mm-hmm. like stereotypical scenarios, like, oh, there's a group of teens going into the woods. Let's right? stop at this sketchy, janky gas station. Janky. And here is this attendant who's like, don't go there. Don't go there, kids. <laughs> Right? Don't go there, stoner, blonde girl, jock. Jock. And then girl. Girl who's like the goody two shoes. Yeah. Right? The virgin. But, and then, and then, like. And Chris Hemsworth. And Chris Hemsworth, who's the jock, right? Yeah. But, oh, Thor. Thor. <laughs> but it's one of those movies where it, it takes the genre. It's very self, it's a very self-aware film. And then it flips it around on its head. Mm-hmm. Right? You, it's like, okay, so it's actually, there's this group of engineers or whatever and they're actually causing all these situations all these scenarios and they release these demons and all these different monsters Mm -hmm. and i think the end like we were uh, talking before in the end it's all to appease like some kind of demon god or something that yeah yeah, beneath the surface right sacrifice all these people to save the world yeah puts you in a moral dilemma right do you sacrifice these people in order to save the world do you sacrifice the one and the few to, to save everyone so that, 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 that that to me is one of the best films in terms of being meta what's another what would you say is another groundbreaking film um well actually before we move on with groundbreaking films i want to keep on the meta thing really quickly. oh yeah so um wes craven who did um nightmare on elm street who has Past now, you know, rest in peace to that guy. He did Scream as well. He did, yeah, that's right. And a lot of people don't realize this, but he did a Freddy movie called Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And that was released in 1994. And if I'm correct, it is the last movie that he did Freddy-wise. I think that's the last of the series that he did. That he did that has Robert England performing as Freddy Krueger. But that was a very meta movie. It was ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. He was trying out the meta thing, and it failed horribly, I believe. Because if you haven't seen the movie, there's scenes in there where, you know, like Robert England is talking, and what's being said is literally being typed on the screen in front of him, like, and they have oh, no idea. Okay. So it's like it's a script. It's a movie within a movie type of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. So that, and that was happening, and people didn't respond to it very well. It wasn't very really liked. That's what the nightmares are telling me, and that's what I'm writing. This is still a script we're talking about, right, Wes? He's decided to cross over out of films into our reality. The only way to stop him is to make another movie. Oh, my God. 
Then he did Scream two years later in 1996, and that was received very well. So meta movies can literally be hit or miss, because you have someone who did it twice and failed the first time, but came back very strong the second time. So what's another meta film? Because I'm trying to think, like, that's not really a genre that's that lends itself to being meta. But there is actually another movie, um, the Evil Dead series. Mm-hmm. The Evil Dead series is very meta. Yes. So the first Evil Dead movie is a straightforward group of teens. They go into the woods, right? And there's all the murder and mayhem um, that goes on after they open the Necromonicon and they read these um, ancient chants, right? Yes. And then all these demons start to basically pick off each of them one by one until Ash, played by Bruce Campbell, ends up, quote unquote, saving the day. Yeah. Extreme civility. But by the second movie and the third movie, it became very campy. So the first one wasn't Mm -hmm. as campy as the second and third, but it became very self-aware. And it actually got to the point now where they've done the Stars series, right? Yes, which was unfortunately canceled. Yes. but It was the number one most pirated uh, TV series. Yeah. Wow. And so even the cast knew this, Mm -hmm. and they came out, and they were like, hey, we know you guys love the show. Please support it, because we are this close to being canceled. No one listened. It was canceled. So I think there's only three seasons of the the show. Of the show. But that's another show that's very Mm self-aware. It's almost like Bruce Campbell's Ash is playing to the hero archetype, Mm -hmm. right? There's that badass scene where, you know, he loses his hand, right? He chopped his hand off. Yeah. His hand, you know, is possessed. Kind of like, what is it, a thing from the Adams Family? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he he's missing a hand, so he straps on a chainsaw, right? And he goes around and he's just, like, murdering all these monsters. It can't monsters. be that sanitary. You know, these people no. get gangrene now. It's gangrenous. He's slowly <laughs> killing himself. Over time. Damn it, Bruce Campbell. But, you know, it's, it's hard to not have a hand when you're working at the S-Mart. Shop smart, right? <laughs> yes. Shop as smart. But anyway, that, that's a, to me, that's another classic kind of meta, funny, mm-hmm. campy horror film. Fun fact, Bruce Campbell stars in, I think, all three uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. He does. Yes. He has little cameos. That's right. I He's like that. a bouncer in one, mm-hmm. I think, uh, a hotel He's a hotel clerk or attendant. Yeah, or yeah. Like and that. then uh, I think he plays Mysterio in one of them as well. Really? I don't remember There's that. like a quick little Mysterio cameo, and I think it's supposed to be Bruce Campbell. Oh, like where he's like a magician. Yeah, or something like that's, that. I think something that's, along those lines. I mean, yeah. I had it completely wrong. I watched too many YouTube videos. Yeah. But in my mind. Speaking of Mysterio, um, yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal will play Mysterio in uh, Spider-Man 2, Far From Home. Far From Home. But that's for another episode. Evil Dead then takes me to the 80s. I love 80s horror films. They're awful. They're campy. They're like B-movie rated films. Mm -hmm. Love them to death. So for me, like I grew up in the 80s watching horror films. Not because I wanted to, but because, you know, mom Mm -hmm. and my dad would watch them. So like, of course, Friday the 13th. Of course, Child's Play. Yes. One of the movies that freaked me out growing up because, you know, I was, you know, a toddler in the 80s. Critters. Because these little monsters would come out of the toilet. And I'm sitting there in the toilet as a little kid like, I don't want them to come up and bite me. (laughs) So those were films that freaked me out. But one of the movies that crystallized my fear of clowns was a movie called Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yes. An awesome B-rate movie. 
Yes, and actually, um, their soundtrack was done by a punk rock band called the Dickies. Mm-hmm. And I saw the Dickies in concert in Ventura, and they were so good. And they played the song Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and that was so Was that a nostalgic badass. blast for it was you? It was a blast of nostalgia. The lead singer, I forget his name, he put on a cape, and he like flew, quote-unquote, around the stage. Like I used to do when I was a little kid, pretending <laughs> to be Superman, you know, arms spread yeah. out, just running. But... It was so badass. But I love that movie. These aliens come from another planet and they come to Earth and terrorize this small town. Mm-hmm. And their spaceship looks like a circus tent. All the aliens look like clowns. They have guns like that... cotton candy, like... Yeah. Their guns shoot... Carcasses or whatever. Cotton candy and it, like, encapsulates them or something. Yes. Right? Like a cocoon. And I think it eats away at whoever's inside or something like that. Yeah. It was such a brilliant movie. I love that movie. But then that movie kind of, like, prepared me mentally to watch It. Mm. Right? That Stephen King miniseries, It, which was a later remade into movie. But again, like, clowns, for whatever reason, just have this power over people's imaginations. I don't, I don't know what it is, but just clowns freak people out. And they really, they kind of freak me out. This may sound weird, but I have never been weirded out by clowns. Really? Ever in my life. Me and my dad used to go to, like, the circus all the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought clowns were hilarious. Like, I was the one out of ten kids that actually approved of <laughs> clowns. So when I remember watching It for the mm-hmm. very first time, I wasn't scared. I was like, what is this? This is not oh my terrifying at all. And then when the new one came out, uh-huh. I was like, well, this is actually scary. Like, some kid is going to be traumatized right. by this movie. Forget that other one. A whole new generation of... But now I don't want pitchforks and, like... Flame arrows being shot at me. I love the movie. Mm-hmm. I just don't get scared by it. Yeah, you didn't see it, but I just threw my glass of whiskey on Jesse. Yeah, just kidding. Um, leading. <laughs> well, like when we talk about these, I guess decent '80s movies. Mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The yeah. very first original came out in 1974, right? Mm-hmm. And that was highly regarded as one of the best movies ever in horror. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. It's gritty. It looks like you found someone's snuff film on accident. Like, you found all these kids um, recording a vacation, and then they happen to get murder on it. It has that grindhouse feel to it. Oh, yeah. It is It's amazing. You know, the end scene, it's not a feel-good moment. Mm-hmm. You know? Here comes the girl being chased by a leather face. Right. She's able to get away, but she is covered in blood, laughing hysterically. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you have that iconic shot of Leatherface swinging the chainsaw right. in the sun, and it stops on a steel. Throw the laundry. Yes, yeah. it is amazing. The sequel mm-hmm. came out 12 years later in 1986, and that is a complete 180, I feel like, from the original. It's more campy. The, the characters are more out there, to say the least. Yeah. It's just... If you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw 2, go watch it. It is something <laughs> it's else. Ridiculous. So what about the... Okay, so back to the question of are remakes good. Was the remake a good one? It's like Leatherface. It's like a prequel and origin So Leatherface, the newest one I've heard is okay. Mm-hmm. I personally own it, but I haven't seen it yet. So I can't really talk too much about Leatherface. But that tells you about the quality of the film. You yeah, own it and, and, and I think it, it was a... Straight to DVD. Yeah. I don't think it was like a out in theaters type of deal. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre has been remade a lot. Right. Like I think it's had three different reboots. One of them is actually good. Right. It it has a what is that old guy that is always like the sergeant? Arlie. Uh, Arlie. Yeah, I don't Arlie Emery. Yeah, that's the name. Arlie Emery. He um is in that movie, and the very first one is good. Mm-hmm. I like that one. The next one's 
But I feel like that's the only remake that is decent for Texas right. Chainsaw Massacre. Then you go to, we've talked about this before, you and I, mm-hmm. the Friday the 13th remake. I love. I think it's awesome. Jason is a very brute-like person, but he's very fast. He's violent. These kills are quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you said you don't like it, right? Not a big fan. Yeah. And then we go into Nightmare on Elm Street. That was remade. That one is horrible. That one is complete <laughs> You know, I think the guy that played Freddy, he's awesome. Personally, he played it great. So, oh, okay. So the guy who did Freddy in the remake was Rorschach in the uh, the Watchmen movie, which was done by Zack Snyder, yes. who did, of course, those terrible Man of Steel movies. They are not terrible. Man of Steel is probably the better one. But anyway, that's for another... Another debate, yeah. Another... But anyway, so, yeah. I didn't personally care for the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, because I felt like they went too much into his backstory. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's an element of mystery and unknowing about a character that makes them appealing. Yes, without a doubt. Because there's like the um, implied Freddy is a child monster. Right, it's implied. It's implied in the very first ones, and you're like, ooh, man, that's kind of more scary than you know, yeah. knowing or not knowing. And then in this one, they're like, boom, here it is. Here it is, he's a child monster, they set him on fire. Yeah, it's like, oh, I guess. Okay, well, yeah. Yeah, so I think in terms of remakes, it's it's hit or miss. Yeah, I don't mind if you want to give me the backstory on these killers. Mm-hmm. But if you try to go too crazy with it, eh. Like with yeah. Halloween, the very first one, like we had mentioned, it's kind of scary because it's this little kid who just kind of snaps, snaps one day. Right. And he just kills his sister. And Rob Zombies, it's like he's in a white trash family. His mom's a yeah. stripper. His sister's a whore. He's bullied. Yeah, he's bullied. His stepdad's a, an a- You know, it's like, ah, I mean, I guess. I guess. <laughs> like, that's kind of not what happens at all in the original. Mm-hmm. He comes from this, like, seems like a well-put-together family. The yeah. daughter just happens to have sex with her boyfriend. Happens. Which is very short, by the way, might I add. Because he locks the house once, mm-hmm. and by the time he's going upstairs, the boyfriend's already leaving. Right, right. So, I don't think she had much of a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing it out there. It's already done. Okay, so this is totally a random tangent, but in in researching for this film, one thing that I think is a constant um, is, is sex, right, mm-hmm. in horror films. And sex in the shower. If you're going to have sex in the shower, like Jason, like Friday, like Friday the 13th style, mm-hmm. you're both going to die. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys, where are you? Guys? All right, I'm going to take a shower real quick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, Kyle. <laughs> right. How and, you been? How you been? Right, and then like five minutes later, you know, Kyle's got a machete There's a in face. spear in between the two of them. Right, and they're dead. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number one, you can never have sex. Sex equals death. Okay, number two, you can never drink or do drugs. No, the sin factor. It's a sin, it's an extension of number one. And number three, never, ever, ever, under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. I would be remiss if I did not mention Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. So I was obsessed with this film. It's a zombie film from 1985, and I think it's done by Dan O'Bannon. He also actually surprisingly went on to write um, for the James Cameron film Alien. But, um, yeah, it's this film where, for whatever reason, the dead start to come to life. 
There's a group of punk rock kids, right? Yes. Of course, who have survived the nights. And, um, of course, they're overwhelmed because they're hanging out in the graveyard. And the zombies come back to life. And uh, one of my favorite scenes from that movie, our brother Daniel used to quote from. He, this guy's all punk rocked out. He's wearing a little jacket. He's got tattoos, nose rings, whatever. He's got a mohawk. And some chick's like, oh, he looks so cool. He's like, nobody understands me. You know what can bust my ass for you guys and what do I get? You're spooky. I mean, I got something to say, you know? What do you think this is all about? You think this is a f***ing costume? This is a way of life. And that was like such a hilarious quote that even our brother, Daniel, who is like a troll. The biggest troll. The biggest troll. Would quote. He's probably forgotten it by now, but so brilliant. And so these zombies, they overwhelm this small town. They end up barricading themselves like in an old building. And um, there's a couple of guys who work in a mortuary, right? So they end up taking down a zombie. They chop the zombie up into bits and pieces, and the pieces all move. Right, which is disgusting. And they put all the pieces into a bag and they throw it into the crematorium to burn it. Oh no. And so of course they burn it, all the ash, all the smoke goes up into the air. They found a new pope. <laughs> it, was, it was black smoke, so, oh, so not not confirmed. But um yeah, so it all then acid or like zombie rain comes down and like more dead come up, right? It just causes more zombies to come to you know, come to animation, or I don't want to say life, but you know what I mean? Reanimated. Reanimated. And so the military gets involved, and they just f- nuke the town. They just f- vaporize the whole... It's a great movie. It's bad. What else would you do in that situation? That's what you gotta do. You gotta nuke them. But anyway, that, the 80s films, I love them. They're terrible, mm. but they're hilarious. Um, let's go on to... Um, so, comedians. Tell me about A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place, directed by John Krasinski, starring John Krasinski and his wife, Emily Blunt. Did he write that movie and direct it? He did not write it, but he did direct it. It's great. It's amazing. It's literally A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. You know, me and my fiance went in to watch it. As At first, I had no intentions of watching this movie. Oh, wow. And then I listened to some podcasts about it. I watched YouTube videos, and I was like, I have to go watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Dragged her along with me to go watch Jim Halpert yeah. uh, in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, I knew it. No. I knew it. Kevin. Not bad at all. I think we can beat 20 minutes, though, so let's try again. Get it all out now if you have to. Everybody get ready in three, two, good luck, one. And I was really surprised how uh, truthful people were when they were saying how quiet that movie is. I want to say in Tops, there's maybe three minutes of actual dialogue. It is silent. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you make a move in the movie theater, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, shit. That was way too loud. Uh, We were in there with maybe 10 other people. Everyone's super spaced out, but I feel like I could hear someone, you know, sniffle on the very opposite side. Open up their, like, cough medicine. Yeah, we had, like, a giant tub of popcorn, and I had maybe four little bites of it because... Whenever there's a loud action scene, I just stuff my face. I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> this, this is my chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's amazing. Uh, it's John Krasinski and his family. Uh, there's some some alien type of monster thing has come to Earth. Any noise right. sets it off and it kills whatever that noise is, whether it be an animal or a human. Uh, somehow John Krasinski and his family have survived. They are living on a farm that they have, like, soundproofed pretty much. You know, wherever there was a creaky floorboard, they have dumped cement in it so that way they can step along the cement instead. The daughter is actually deaf, just like our mom. Right. And they use sign language as a 
uh, form of communication. And that's actually what attracted me to the film. Yes, me was, as well. Was that part. Because I did not know that. And so I thought they were just using sign language because it's silent. Right. Whereas, in fact, that she's actually deaf herself and they have to use sign language. Mm-hmm. Um, but John Krasinski, they, they never go into like what he does, mm-hmm. whether he used to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something. But he's very handy with medical equipment. Right. And he tries to make like a cochlear implant. Right, right. To use on his daughter to give her a sense of hearing. So that way she's not so... I guess, blind and deaf to this world that she's right. now forced to live in. It's great. I love that movie. So I, there's, okay, so John Krasinski, again, I hate to, to turn this podcast into a Christian soapbox, but I will say this. In that film, I, I love the fact that John Krasinski, who is a good Catholic boy, he, um, there's, there are scenes where they're praying, mm-hmm. right? They're praying before dinner. There's the Jesus kind of archetype that plays out because, of course, spoiler, um, he sacrifices himself, right, to save his family, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. To and save his kids. Save his kids. But um, there's also the element, too, um, where there's respect for life. Because, and you didn't mention this, but one of the, I guess, things that causes uh, suspense in the movie is that his wife is pregnant. Yes. Right? So in our reckoning of the world, it's like, pff, just have an abortion, like get rid of that baby, right? Mm-hmm. But they actually plan to have the baby. Well, yeah, they like soundproof a room. It's an underground room, soundproof. They have like a, a makeshift crib mm-hmm. that you can put like an oxygen mask into a baby-sized one at that. Right. And... So that way, when it cries, it can be inside this box, and no one will hear it, and the baby will not exactly. be killed. Because I didn't mention, I didn't want to mention at first, but because you just thrown out that spoiler there. Yeah, sorry. Um, in pretty much the first ten minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, one of their kids is killed. Right. They have three kids. They're I playing with say, a toy, right? Yeah, they vary. They all vary in age. I want to say they go from like four to nine are the kids' ages, maybe. And the lit- the littlest boy is about four, and he wants this spaceship toy, and it's really loud. Mm-hmm. You know, and John Krasinski stops him from playing with it, takes the batteries out, says, you can't have it, blah, 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 puts it on the counter or whatever. And then the deaf sister takes it, puts the batteries in it. Oh, shoot. And gives it to the little boy. Right. You know, and she tells him, be uh, be quiet. You know, you can have it, just be quiet. And then there you go, they go. They are walking back to the little farm. And it's super quiet, mind you. And out of nowhere, you just hear this toy turn on. And <sighs> Emily Blunt's face just drops right and john kaczynski freezes they all turn around and he just mad dash full sprint usain bolts to this little boy and right when he's about to grab him one of these like monster things just takes him wow kills him The second I saw that, I was like, this movie is not going to play any games <laughs> with my emotions today. Right. Damn. All right. So if we're going to talk about comedians doing horror films, we, we mentioned, you know, Danny McBride doing Halloween, John Krasinski doing A Quiet Place. Um, let's talk a little bit about the film Get Out. I, I just think it's interesting how comedians like Jordan Peele can then come and make a movie like Get Out, right? And to me, like we were saying, it's a smart film because it's not just a slasher. It's not just like a kill em gore 
fast, mm-hmm. right? There's something going on beneath the surface there. But I mean, you've seen it more than I have. I've only seen bits. I haven't even watched the whole thing. Yeah, well, Get Out. What is his name? I feel that you like had a horrible time pronouncing it. What was it? So the actors, he was in um, Black Panther. His name is Daniel Kaluuya. Kaluuya? Something like that, Ooh. yeah. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> Please don't roast us. I know you're listening, and I just, I just messed up your last name. <laughs> Daniel K. Daniel, Daniel K. K. He um, is dating this white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I should add that Daniel is African-American. He's that black. Yes, he's black, and he's dating this white woman, and he is going to go meet her family for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, and he gets to their house, and they're very, it's in the country. It's a very nice house. It's extravagant. Right. He meets the parents, and they instantly welcome him with open arms. And the dad is just a stereotypical, what's up, my brother? I voted for Barack twice. Yeah, yeah. You know, all that stuff. It's or, this, like, white, affluent, liberal kind yes, of attitude. Yes, Yeah. And, you know, he's very modern with the way he dresses. He has a very nice haircut. Hipster? Yeah, very hipster. Right. You know, that's the way you could describe it. So Chris is walking around getting the house tour with the dad. Mm-hmm. And he points out, like, oh, well, who's this guy racing, you know? And he's like, oh, that is my grandfather. Or, no, my dad, who, who's passed. Right. Um, he would have been in the Olympics, but he lost to Jesse Owens. Oh, wow. In, like, the qualifying rounds, you know? And that's... Which, by the way, was in Berlin, Germany. Yes. And I didn't Hitler realize that until right now. Holy shit. Yes. Yeah. He would have made it to the Olympics if it were not for Jesse Owens. Mm-hmm. And the dad kind of just mentioned really quickly, you know, he never got over that loss. Right. That was the one that always got away from him. Um, so they move on, blah, 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 blah. And Chris sees the help around the house. And the right. help are two black people. It's a woman and a man okay. who do not talk much, you know, and they seem very, very weird is the best right. way to put it. They just stand around the house. Move on to the story. They remind Rose that there is a family party going on or something like that where Mm -hmm. all their friends come in and they just pretty much have this giant party and she is like oh my god i can't believe it's this weekend like i don't want to be here for that but i guess we have to because we're here now right right and he's like oh okay Uh, when i say he i'm talking about chris Chris, yeah and what ends up happening is he starts introducing himself to all these people and they're all white all very very white and it gets really awkward Pretty much, you know, they're all like sizing him up. They're like rubbing his arms, and it's like, "Wow, you are so strong. You have like great vision, you know, because you're a photographer, so you have really mm. nice eyes. All these different things." But he's a smoker too, right? Yes, he has a smoking problem. He's addicted, obviously, to smoking cigarettes. All right, he's not addicted to marijuana. Don't make this something else. <laughs> and and uh, he is talking to all of them, and you know, I think someone does bring up the fact that he's a smoker. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's a nasty habit. And while he's walking around, he sees another black male there. Mm-hmm. And he goes up to me. He's like, hey, what's up, my brother? And, like, goes to dap him up, give him a handshake. And he does not respond well to Chris. He's just like, hi, how are you? Like, I'm blah, blah, blah. Very like much like a white person. Yes. And then his girlfriend or whatever comes up. Rose. She's an older lady. No, not Rose. Oh, the this black other guy's yeah. girlfriend. Yes. Okay. She comes up. She's a way older lady. And she's like, oh, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. You know, introduce yourselves. Like, telling them what to do. Telling them how to handle things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, like, move on. And he's like, wow, that was weird. And then the whole time, Chris has a friend who works for the TSA back at home. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I said the TSA. <laughs> right, right. His name's Rod. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And he, like, calls me. He's like, man, these white people are weird. 
And Rod is definitely the comedic help in the movie. He is like, man, they're, they're going to make you a sex slave. Like, blah, blah, blah. All these other things. Like, they want to buy you, make you a sex slave. Uh-huh. And all these things. And, you know, you laugh at it. But then as the movie progresses, you realize he's kind of right. Yeah. That's exactly what they want. He called it. Yeah. So, like, not only make him a sex slave, but they want to take his body from Chris. Okay, so let's back up. So, as I mentioned earlier, Chris was a smoker. Right? Yes. And so, Rose's mother, right, she notices. Notices, but she knows how to do hypnotherapy. Yes. So she convinces him to undergo hypnotherapy to get rid of his smoking. Yes, because he comes in from the house from sneaking out for a late night smoke. For a smoke. And then he's walking through the house, and then the light turns on, mm-hmm. and he sees her, and she's like, hey, have a seat, you know. That's a nasty habit. I don't want you smoking around my daughter. Like, I hope you can understand. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the meanwhile, he has no idea that he is start that she has started the process of hypnotizing him. Yeah. You know, she has this tea cup, and she's swiveling the spoon around it, making the noise. Mm-hmm. And hypnotizing him. And then she's giving him this spiel. Mm-hmm. And finally she goes... You can go into the sunken place, and like she taps the spoon on the tea glass, and he just falls in. Right, and he has all these other world like nightmare visions. Yes, he sees himself as a child, um, and his mom died in a car crash. And what had happened in the car crash was she would have lived Mm -hmm. if someone would have noticed that she did not come home. Right, the only person that was home was Chris. So little Chris would have said something as a kid, like, hey, it's really late. My mom hasn't come home yet. Right. Someone should go look for her. They would have found her on the way that she usually comes home Mm -hmm. where she died. You know, that's the unfortunate thing. So that's what has always haunted him. And so they use that against him pretty much in this sunken place. Uh, But moving on back into the normal thing, the TSA agent, Chris goes, hey, I'm going to take a picture of this guy and send it to you. Uh And tell me if you, like, know who this guy is. Right when he takes a picture of him, he snaps. Bloody nose. And he just starts saying, get out. The chores have become my sanctuary. Get out. Sorry, man. Okay. Get out! Yo! Yo! Chill, man. Get out! Chill! Chill! Chill, Chill, man! He gets his picture taken, and he just snaps, saying, get out, get out, get out. saying louder and louder and louder. Right. And they finally tame him down. They're like, oh, we don't know what it is. He, uh, He had a seizure. Oh, okay. and Chris is like, that's not a seizure. Like he, he was talking. He's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're moving on. And then Chris is finally at that point where he's like, I gotta go. I, yeah, he is telling Rose, like, I don't feel comfortable here anymore. They get to the house. The keys are missing. Then Chris finds mm-hmm. a cubby with all these things. in it. it has pictures of Rose with all these different partners that she's had before. Black We're guys. all black. Yeah. All black guys. And one of them is a woman. The woman and one of the males uh-huh. are actually the help at the house. And he is like, what the heck? So wow. then he finally gets downstairs. Uh-huh. And he has not told Rose that he's in on it. And he goes, Rose, give me the keys. And he goes, Rose, give me the keys. Like, he's intensifying now. And she says, no, I can't. You know I can't give you these keys. Uh-huh. Hell unfolds there. Uh, Chris is then hypnotized again. He falls down. Then he is put into a chair. Mm-hmm. And this is where it gets very, you know, smart. Because you have to kind of look at these things. People don't really realize this on the first watch. Is while he's in this chair and they're prepping him to go into surgery, he is putting, he's picking the cotton from the chair and stuffing right. it into his ears to stop the white propaganda. Hi, I'm Roman Armitage. And if you're watching this, you're probably wondering what's going on. 
There's no need to worry. Let's take a walk. You have been chosen because of the physical advantages you've enjoyed your entire lifetime. With your natural gifts and our determination, we could both be part of something greater. They're, what they're explaining to him is that what they're doing is they're taking these black people's bodies mm-hmm. and they are removing their brains right? and they are putting someone else's brain, a white person's brain, right. into their body. So they can have a continued life. And which is, goes back to the father, lo- the grandfather, I guess, yes. losing to Jesse Owens. Yes. Because he was this he, athletic, fit, And then he became old, and he became feeble, and then they put his mind into a black male's body. Right. And that black male's body was the help. Yeah. He was the helper on his house, and that's why he was always running, and he was just always just doing weird things, because it was... Was it him? Is a completely different person, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much it with Get Out. I don't want to go too far into the ending, but that is crazy. And so when I hear that movie, then there's that racial component, right? Being aware of you know the 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 white supremacy, right, mm-hmm. and kind of putting down and seeing blacks in a very utilitarian way, like oh, their bodies are just meant for work, or they're only meant for being a vessel for this white old man, basically. Yeah. And Jedi's the most insulting installment because Vader's beautiful black visage is sullied when he pulls off his mask to reveal a feeble, crusty old white man. They trying to tell us that deep inside, we all wants to be white. And and I know we talked about this earlier too, um, Night of the Living Dead, which came out in 1968, directed by George Romero. Mm-hmm. This movie came out six months after Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mm-hmm. So it was right in the mix of all this racial tension and hostility that was going on. And of course, after that, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. He was running for president. And so people have looked at that movie, and we talked about this earlier, as being this like civil rights, racially conscious movie. Mm-hmm. And George Romero kind of was like, mm, not really. And I didn't intend for that. Because when he wrote the role of the main character, yeah, Dwayne in there, it was not supposed to be for any person, Mm -hmm. really. It could have been take actor A or actor B and put them in this role, and they should be able to fulfill it. Yeah. It just so happened that he liked the performance of a black male. Um, Actually, the character's name was Ben. The actor's name was oh, Dwayne, okay. gotcha. Dwayne jo- uh, Jones. Johnson, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> no, it was uh, Dwayne uh, Jones, who played Ben. And I think, even though George Romero maybe didn't set out to make this movie that had to deal with the racial issues of mm-hmm. the time, it was very much part of the atmosphere. And I think maybe unconsciously, yeah, definitely. those things, those, those racial elements, those things that are part of the civil rights movement, came to the fore because... The lead character was black. Yeah. And so you have this very strong black lead in Ben, who's the only person who has any common sense, and all these hysterical white people, right, like Barbara. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. (laughs) Right? And the people who come to help them, because they board themselves up in the house, look very much like they're in a lynch mob. Right? They do. They look like they're part of the KKK. And that movie ends with the black person, who's the only one who makes any sense, the only one who's at all competent, 
is killed. Mm-hmm. He's assassinated. Because Basically. they think that he is a zombie. A zombie, right? And so even though the movie didn't intend to have that kind of civil rights dynamic to it, because the lead was black, it brought out all these things that were kind of in our culture, in our society. And so I think Get Out very much is in that same vein only he was more conscious mm-hmm. of what he was doing. Definitely. And so that's, I think those movies are smart. But what are, what are some other smart horror films in that vein, would you say? Uh, recently, Hereditary. Mm-hmm. That just came out. And people call that, if you go into expecting a horror movie, you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's more of a thriller slash drama with horror slashed in. Because it doesn't get really horrifying until the last 30 minutes of the movie, I think people have said. Right. That's a good one. The Duke, which was released in 2014 out of Australia. That one is, it's this mom who's lost her um, husband in a car crash while she was on the way to deliver her child. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, her child grows up without a father. It's just a mom who is struggling with grief and trying to raise this child on her own, you know, which is challenging enough to raise a child. Right. Yeah. Now you're adding in the fact that you've lost your husband uh, in a car crash for this child. Mm-hmm. You know, so fast forward in the future, I think the kid's nine or something like that. Yeah. And they find a book. It's called The Duke. And it starts off kind of playful, and then it gets really dark. Dark, yeah. You know, and at the end, it says that the Babadook will come and kill you, and it gets stronger Mm -hmm. the more you deny its existence. You know, so she goes, this book is horrible. You know, she tries to hide it. She tries to destroy it. But the book always comes back. Yeah. She starts trying to deny the Babadook, and it becomes stronger. It starts... Weird things start happening. Doors are opening. You know, things are moved around. The typical horror stuff. She's eating dinner one day with her son, and there's glass in her food. And she blames wow. him for it. For putting it in there. Yes. Because he's like, it's the Babadook. The Babadook is doing it. And she's like, shut up. Don't talk about that. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist. Like, you're you're crazy. Wow. And as you see it, she becomes more and more crazy and more into this whole life. Mm-hmm. And then finally towards the end, you know, some things happen and she realizes that she's the crazy one, mm-hmm. you know? And so she confronts the Duke, and she, you know, fights it away, t- basically puts it in the basement, chains it up mm-hmm. and she feeds it earthworms. And, you know, when you're watching the movie, you're like, what the fuck just happened? Uh-huh. You know, like that is crazy. And pretty much the Duke was not real. Right. What it was, was she is dealing with grief. The Duke had taken form of grief. That's what it was. And she has confronted it. And she realizes, like, hey, this sucks. I'm dealing with the death of my husband, but I need to raise my child. So the more you don't deal with your grief, the bigger it becomes. Exactly. You let it boil over. And so as a... As a Christian, I look at that and I think that's very true. There's a lot of truth in that. And I think that's the other thing, too, is we need to realize, like, these horror films use violence, use mm-hmm. the thrill or whatever as a vehicle for telling truth. And in that case, I look at God, for example, right? Moses asked, well, who should I say you are? Who should I tell uh-huh. people you are? And God says, I am who I am. And the devil says, I'm not real. Yeah. I'm not anyone. I don't exist. And so that's like the lie of the devil. I don't exist. I'm not real. Mm-hmm. Right? And the more people buy into that, oh, yeah, the devil's not real. The devil doesn't exist. Evil's not a real thing. The more it grows. Yeah. And so I think that's an interesting connection to that movie because the more you deny it, the more you deny its existence, the more it becomes powerful. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love horror because you can attach it to anything. 
like a lot of these directors and screenwriters leave a lot open to interpretation so you can get what you want out of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they're going to come and be like, no, that's not the meaning of this movie. Right, right. But for the most part, that's how it goes. And that's why I love it so much. So uh, one of my favorite movies is Doctor Strange. Favorite movies in terms of the Marvel Universe. Okay. Right? Um, it's kind of the Harry Potter of, <laughs> of the MCU, yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But that movie has a horror element to it because it's directed by Scott Derrickson. Okay. Scott Derrickson is famous for Conjuring. Oh, wow. Scott Derrickson is a Christian, and he's been making these horror films, like The Conjuring and the sequels, like Mm -hmm. Annabelle, and I guess The Conjuring 2, and there's the one with the nun that's coming out. That's coming out this year, yeah. And I don't know if he's doing those films per se, but those all come from his kind of um, imagination. But even those films are based on you know, quote-unquote true stories, this couple who were given permission by the Vatican to conduct exorcists. Because usually, like, Mm -hmm. priests who are trained and are the ones who do this. There's usually a long process. If I'm like, you have to, you know, prove it, essentially. Yeah. And then they send someone from the church to check it out. Yes. And then they will go back, and then they will tell them, hey, this is a real situation. We need an exorcism. And so that's the thing with when people go, oh, it's just, you know, the church is just sending priests out to deal with mentally ill people. Actually, no. When you look into exorcisms, like you said, they spend a lot of time to investigate. Like, is this a mental illness? Can this be dealt with psychologically? Mm -hmm. And they come to a point where they realize after investigations, this is something deeper, darker. This is possibly demonic. And that's when the priest will come in for an exorcism. Because that's when that that shows how the church has come along, you know, because now they'll go out and they'll be like, hey, this person is probably just suffering from like schizophrenia. Yeah. They need to be medicated. They need like psychiatric care or whatever. And then that's when they're like, oh, well, if the church says it, I'm going to take them to the hospital now. Mm -hmm. You know, but like we're saying, after some investigation, that's when they'll send someone more well-equipped to handle. Exactly. And so that's where we see, like, in movies like The Exorcist, right? They send Father Marin. It's an honor to meet you, Father. Played by Max von Sydow, with Father Karras to go deal with um, Linda Blair's character, um, Regan, Mm -hmm. who's possessed, right? That the power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! But The Conjuring, though, it's two people who are given permission by the Vatican, right? A couple? Yeah, Ed and uh, Lorraine Warren. Yeah, and they're based on real people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's crazy. This, this demon possesses the house, right? This evil spirit possesses the house. But then it also comes to possess the wife, right? Yes. And the wife then tries to kill the daughter. Because what happens is these demons want these people's souls. Obviously, that's like the basic premise of things. Hold her still! Don't let her up! Loser, Roger! Damn you. You leave my family alone, you hear me? I don't know what you are, but you leave my wife alone! God damn it! Let her go! And, but it cannot take the person's body mm-hmm. unless they're in a very weak mental state. Mm-hmm. So then you have Ed and Lorraine Warren who come in, who are very strong-willed people, strong-headed. But then when Lorraine shows up, she's also put through the ringer. But because she's more strong-willed, she beats it, and then they 
stop it. But yeah, that's pretty much what happens with those right. characters. And then what happens is like what the demon possesses the Annabelle doll as well in the sequel or uh, it's not the same demon. It's a separate, but that's the same like same concept premise. Yeah, Annabelle's possession is this couple. One is a um, like a doctor, and the other one is just a stay-at-home wife. This is in the '60s, so that's feasible right. nowadays. He gets her a doll that she has wanted for her collection. It's creepy. Uh, gets her this doll. The neighbors know that she's pregnant, and they're like, hey, you know, congratulations, it's a beautiful thing to have a kid, you know, we had a kid, and, you know, right. it's kind of sad, and at first you think she died or something, but what really happened is the daughter ran away and joined a cult. Oh, Yeah, and then the daughter comes back and kills her parents, mm-hmm. and then they realize that the neighbors saw, yeah. and go to kill them, and then the husband and the police save the day, but when they kill Annabelle Higgins, mm-hmm. her blood... Like falls into this doll, which right. turns out to be Annabelle. Annabelle, and so now it's possessed. And I think that's the demon leaving Annabelle Higgins, going into Annabelle the doll. Okay. And yeah, it is. It's messed up. The movie is. It's okay. I give it a, right. a D plus, C minus. But it's all this kind of like from from the imagination of um, James Wan. Yes, James Wan. Right. He has created like the Conjuring universe. Right. I was thinking, I mixed up my directors earlier. I was thinking um, Scott Derrickson, who did Doctor Strange, he actually did the um, Exorcism of Emily Rose. Ah, okay. Right, so I get my kind of my directors mixed up there. But so, what's your favorite? Let's let's wrap up here. What's your favorite horror film? My favorite horror film is absolutely Halloween, the original uh-huh. Halloween. Mm-hmm. That is, it's it's a classic. It's great. Even if I love this remake, I don't think it's gonna ever be topped. Right, right. What's the best kill from that film? Um, from that film, mm-hmm. I think it has to be where oh, I forget what their name is, but this couple has sex upstairs. Of course, and she, the boyfriend goes to get like beer or whatever, mm-hmm. and as he's on his way back up or something like that, Michael Myers picks him up by like the collar, uh-huh. lifts him up, and then stabs him, uh-huh. and it like pins him to the wall, mm-hmm. and he does this little like head tilt when he looks at the body. <laughs> Like, and that is an huh. epic kill. Yeah. Wow. But if I have to do, like, Best favorite kill? kill of all time, mm-hmm. it is in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors. Yeah. There is this girl who is an aspiring actress. She's watching late night television. It's a talk show. And the guest on there is talking to, you know, whoever it is. And she's on this little tangent. And then the host stands up and goes, like, what do you know, <laughs> And everyone's like, what the heck? And it's Freddy. Uh-huh. And he, like... Kills her, and the girl who's watching the show is like, what the hell? And she, like, stands up and, like, walks over to the television. And then Freddy's face comes out of, like, the TV, sort of. Or he's coming, like, out the top of it. Yeah. And he has little arms come out the side. And he goes, this is it, Jennifer. You're big break in TV. What the front time? And he just <laughs> chucks her head into the TV. Uh-huh. That is... That was beautiful. That's I love that kill. That's funny. So for me, like, I, I love Evil Dead series. All those films. I think Evil Dead 2 is a perfect movie. Like, the cinematography, how, like, they go from the perspective of, like, the, the evil spirit or whatever it is. Yeah. Going through the woods. You know, you see all the, like, trees mm-hmm. and, you know, flying past it. And just, like, the chainsaw, Bruce Campbell. That's my favorite horror film. I could watch that all day, every day. Uh, my favorite kill, though, th- th- this is so random, but 
I love Friday the 13th, the final chapter, right? Of course, it's the woods, right? Stereotypical horror film. But Crispin Glover is in that movie. I love Crispin Glover. Of course, he plays Marty McFly's dad in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. His death is hilarious. He goes to the, to the cabin. He's looking for one of the friends. And, of course, they're, they're in the shower banging, mm-hmm. right? They're banging, as you do in a horror film. And um, he can't find them, right? And he's in the kitchen. Crispin Glover is in the kitchen. Ted! Stabs him right through the hand, yeah. right? And he goes, ah! And he turns around and looks, and there's Jason. Whoosh. Machete to the head. It's pretty gruesome, but yes. Crispin Glover is just freaking hilarious. You it's, can't take it seriously sometimes. You can't take it seriously. It's like, that is so funny. Even though it's a horrible murder, it's Crispin Glover. Come on. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that, we'll, we'll, we'll end it on that horrible note. Go watch horror films, people. Yes. segment of our show we like to talk about what we're listening to what we're watching so what are you what are you listening to uh right now i'm listening to the dead meat podcast it is an extension of the dead meat youtube channel which is hosted by james a janice he does kill counts pretty much where he takes a movie counts of all the kills and then he divides it by the runtime and he tells you how many kills per minute you're getting right so he's covered the friday the 13th series nightmare on elm street Leprechaun, Saw, he's going to do Halloween upcoming. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. The podcast is more ran by his girlfriend, Chelsea Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And in there, they they go more in depth when it comes to horror, you know, tropes, uh, movie reviews. It's awesome. Give it a listen. Dead Meat Podcasts. Great podcast. Sweet. And I want to quickly just mention that I'm going to talk this week about Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2. Great movie. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Um, the action was amazing. It was directed by the guy who did John Wick, right? The guy who killed John Wick's dog. That bastard. That bastard. The jokes I thought were funny. The Brad Pitt, spoiler, the Brad Pitt um, cameo yes. was on point. But the fun fact that I wanted to mention was that domestically, and by the way, Deadpool mentions this in the movie, domestically, Deadpool is second to The Passion of the Christ, directed by Mel Gibson. When it comes to R-rated movies. When it comes to R-rated movies. So, in terms of being an R-rated movie, um, Deadpool raked in domestically $363 million, whereas The Passion of the Christ took in $370 million. So, Deadpool, $363 million. Passion of the Christ, $370 million. So, Deadpool, second to Christ. Yeah. Domestically. Thanks, Mel Gibson. Yeah. But... Worldwide, Deadpool narrowly beat out The Passion of the Christ with $745 million, whereas Worldwide, Passion of the Christ has raked in $611.9 million. So, yeah, domestically, Jesus beats Deadpool. I just think that's such a funny, weird fact. It is a weird fact, without a doubt. 
All right. So that's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, or iTunes. Well, Jesse, where do you listen to us? I listen on Apple. On Apple, the Apple Podcasts. Apple yeah. Podcasts. And be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find this show. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Conversation on Tap. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, Jesse. Cheers. And thank you so much for joining us. Woo.